0: We're continuing our series on who we are as a church, and this morning's message is on we are worshipers. People worship all kinds of things, and you can tell what they worship by the amount of attention that they place on something. And I think I might need a battery. Huh. There! Praise God. (laughs) All right. So this is. uh, Jesus' uh, episode, if you have your Bibles with me, open to John chapter 4. Jesus has uh, decided to go through uh, Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, and uh, this was a big no-no for Jewish people, because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, and it's a long story as to why, but it all began with Solomon, the king. He decided to marry more than one wife. Big mistake. One wife is plenty. Praise God. He had so many wives that they led his heart away from God and he turned to idolatry. And as a result, God divided the kingdom after him. And his son was in the southern kingdom. Jeroboam was anointed by God to be the king of the northern kingdoms but he forgot to trust God and he got nervous and he thought, God's not going to be able to keep me in this position, so I better do something about it. Anybody ever try to help God? (laughs) God, you don't know what you're doing. Let me do something to help you because I'm smarter than you, God. And so Jeroboam thought he was smarter than God. He set up a golden calf in Samaria and another one up in the northern part of uh, Israel. And he told everybody that was following him, This is where we're going to worship. And the Bible says that he caused Israel to sin more than any king ever, ever did. Because he didn't trust God. He didn't believe God. And uh, as a result, in Jesus' day, the Samaritans were separated from Israel. And they didn't want anything to do with them. They were prejudiced. Can you imagine? God's people, God's chosen people were prejudiced. That doesn't happen today, does it? I heard an old song one time, an old uh, bluegrass song uh, in our church house Sunday morning came a man unwelcome there. He's probably homeless, or maybe he was the town drunk, and uh, you know, he was shunned by man, but not by Jesus. And he lifted up his voice in prayer in prayer, "Steer me on the righteous pathway." Help me in thee to abide. Hold me close to your bosom, Lord. Let me walk by your side. And it's like, oh, the congregation thought a little differently after hearing them pray because they there was <laughs> an old uh, story that I was told this uh, little old lady. Um, <clears throat> she was a little different from everybody else and she tried to go into this church and they stopped him. In fact, I, I know a, a, a pastor who uh, when he got saved, he was a hippie with long hair. And all of his friends were going to this one particular church in the town they were in. And being a rebel, he decided, I'm going to go get saved at the other side of the church here. And they stopped him in the back of the church. And they said, yes, can we help you? Yeah, I want to come to church. He said, okay, well, we can set a chair up for you back here where nobody can see you. <laughs> and so this little old lady said, you know, she goes home and she prays and says, God, you know what? I can't believe they wouldn't let me in the church. And God speaks to her. So they won't let me in either. (laughs) Praise God. So here's the Samaritans. Jesus, uh, they go uh, uh, to, uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he gets to the place where Jacob's well is. His disciples go into the city to buy some food. Jesus is sitting there waiting at the well and a Samaritan woman comes out all by herself. And if you know the story, uh, she's embarrassed. She's like the town scandal. And uh, she comes out, and Jesus says, hey, um, I'm thirsty. Give me a drink. And she looks at him like, what? You are a Jewish person. Here's her very words. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman of all things? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And, of course, Jesus clues her in. If you knew the gift of God, and who's talking to you, and who said, give me a drink, you'd ask him, or me, literally, and I would give you living water. And she so looks at him and says, yeah, right, you don't have anything to get the water out of the well with, uh, where are you going to get this living water? This well's deep. And of course, Jesus, she uh, says, are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock and our ancestors, and it's been in our possession ever since. Jesus said, you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give you will never thirst. But the water that I give will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So she gets the idea, magic water, I want some of that. That sounds like a great idea says, okay, give me that water so I don't have to come here anymore because it's embarrassing for my, to come out here and, with my background because I come out here all by myself and all the other ladies go out there and early in the morning all gathered together yakety-yacking and all that as women do and they get their water but I'm too embarrassed to come out here by myself and Jesus knows this. So Jesus tells her, okay, go call your husband. Now, she, now he's getting to the point, go call your husband. The point of his salvation. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus tells her, you have well said. He commends her for telling the truth. You don't have a husband. He says, I know you have five husbands. You've had five husbands and now you're living with somebody who's not your husband. So shacking up was nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. The lady back then, she was shacking up in this town. And they're living together like they're married, and they weren't married. And under Jewish law, thank God she wasn't living under Jewish law because both her and the man were supposed to be taken out and stoned to death. So she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And Jesus says, yep, that's right. But instead of getting to the point here, she says, She tries to change the subject. (laughs) Never mind that I've had five husbands, and never mind that I'm living with somebody. Since you're a man of God, I got a really good question for you. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. This mountain, by the way, is Mount Gerizim, which, if you know, is uh, in the Old Testament where God had the people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, stand on Mount Gerizim to pronounce the blessings for following God, and Mount Ebal to pronounce the curses for not following God. So they're worshiping. This is a holy mountain for them because that's where the blessings were pronounced. How many know that now that Jesus has come to earth, died, buried, and rose again from the dead, and gone into heaven, there is no such place as a holy place anymore? Everything's holy now. You can worship God anywhere. Any time, any place, no building is holier than any other place. No ground is holier than any other place. It's all holy because Jesus paid the price to redeem the entire universe from the curse. It's been taken out of the way, and so these people that uh, today are so upset because uh, you know we've got this this building and this place and it's holy. It's not holier than any other place. The whole earth is holy now because Jesus' blood has paid the price. So she says, I have a great question for you. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Oh, that's the holy place in Jerusalem. Not so anymore. I don't believe that anymore. That's why people are fighting over there, because they think this place is so holy for us. It's not holier than any other place, in my opinion, and I believe that's what God would say too. Forget all this stuff because instead of worshiping God, people that attach importance to places are missing the boat. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping what they think represents God. That's why God's so much against idolatry because God's invisible. How do you worship something that's invisible? (laughs) Well, one way to do it, by closing your eyes and thinking about what God has done for you. That's what one way is. So Jesus tells her, believe me. So she wants clarification. She says, I have a great question for you. We've been wondering about this for centuries. What's the answer? And Jesus said, the hour is coming. Verse 21, woman, woman. Believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will not worship the Father in any of these places because you don't know what you're worshiping. But we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. It's an interesting and intriguing um, phrase because one day I was uh, witnessing uh, out inviting people and telling people about Jesus. And this young man tells me, oh, I'm Jewish. And I said, well, sal- the Bible says salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was not a white supremacist. He was Jewish. He's not a Palestinian. He's Jewish. So salvation, according to Jameson Foster, and Brown's commentary, is something that had been revealed to the Jews. God had prepared it. God deposited it with them, and it must be sought in connection with and as issuing from them. Jesus was Jewish. Something really interesting uh, to remember, that Jesus was Jewish. And the, the whole point of Jesus being Jewish is he came to fulfill God's requirements that we, as Jew or Gentile, could never fulfill. No matter how good we tried to be, we could never be good enough on our own. God had to do it himself. So I want to look at the, the word worship. Is the adoration, homage, or veneration given to a deity or something regarded as sacred. We worship a holy God. God says, be holy because I'm holy. And so when we worship, we're adoring God. It's also the rituals and the ceremonies and the prayers, excuse me, and so on, that this adoration requires. And I like this definition. It's excessive or ardent devotion or admiration. How many know God is very admirable? (laughs) God, God likes to be admired. I mean, think about it. He created the whole universe just by speaking the words. Spoken it into existence. And there it was. So God's powerful. Jesus rose from the dead. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. That's more than admirable. That's worthy of worship. The archaic definition of worship is dignity or worthiness. So when we're worshiping God, we're telling him how much he's worth to us. So I looked up the definition of worth. And it's that quality that renders something useful. How I many you know God is very useful? Praise God. <laughs> or desirable. The Bible says God is the desire of the nations. Praise God. Most of them don't have any, even no idea what, what they're desiring. But God is the answer and the desire of all the nations. It's also a value attached to something or excellence of any kind. O Lord, O Lord, Psalm 8, verse 1 and verse 9 says, Our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Praise God. It's also the quality or combination of qualities that makes something or someone deserving of esteem. God's name is to be esteemed. Jesus' name is to be esteemed. The Bible says in uh, Philippians, I believe it is, that Jesus must have the preeminence that he's the name in the book of Acts. It says that nor the name given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. Worth and value are synonyms, and it relates to the merit or excellency of a person or thing. Worth implies some intangible merit or efficacy, which is the power to produce results. How many know, how many believe that when you gave your life to Jesus, He empowered you and I to live for him, to love him, and to serve him and one another. God's got the power. We don't have the power on our own. God's got it. Value refers to a measure or precisely definable quality. How many know that God is not precisely definable? (laughs) I don't know about you, but trying to imagine and think about God and understand God and everything about Him it feels like my brain is a little pea in a big empty box car because this God is so awesome and there's so much to know about God. It's like inexhaustible. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Paul the apostle says, "Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God!" Exclamation point! How unsearchable are His judgment and His ways past finding out. This is what Paul comes to the conclusion when he's talking about how God saves anyone who calls on Jesus' name. How it's not only just for the Jews anymore, but it's for everybody because the veil has been torn in two. The word worship in Strong's exhaustive concordance and Greek and Hebrew dictionary is the word shaka, the Jewish word. It means to depress or push down, literally. To prostrate oneself, especially reflexively in homage to royalty or God. In the, some places, if a king comes by, everyone has to kneel as the king comes by. Make way for the king! And everybody kneels down, and they're not even allowed to look up at the majesty. That's supposed to be our reflex. We think about God. Oh, God, you're so good. I am not even worthy like Jesus said the uh, the the uh, publican comes to the temple to pray and he beats his chest and he says God I'm not worthy I'm not worthy and Jesus said that man have mercy on me God I'm not worthy that man went home justified instead of the guy that came and stood there and said God I thank you that I am not like this sinner here I am more holy Isaiah chapter 53 says or 58 says the people who come before God and say, "God, I thank you that I am more holy than these people. And you people, stay away from me, cause I'm holier than you." Bible says, God says that those people are like smoke in my eyes. Anybody try barbecuing and the smoke gets in your eyes? Ah, oh, man! God says that people that have that attitude that I'm more holy than you don't come near me. You'll pollute me. <laughs> That's says you people are like smoke in my eyes. Man, that stings, that hurts. Oh, I can't even look at you. <laughs> people are funny. There's lots of people in the world that have that attitude. I am more holy than you. We're not. <laughs> I'm sorry. Praise God. It also means to bow down, to fall down flat, to do reverence. Praise God. So when we worship God, That could be our physical attitude, but it should be our spiritual attitude. We're humbling ourselves before God. God is worthy of our worship. Hallelujah. So the the Samaritans, they're worshiping at Mount Gerizim and Jesus says, you know, I'm going to explain this to you. We know what we're worshiping. Believe me. Hallelujah. We know what we worship you. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, said worship is a state of mind, a way of thinking about God. It's a mind frame or a mindset. That's why when I'm worshiping, I close my eyes. And I have to open them once in a while to make sure I'm singing the right words. But I close my eyes because I'm trying to concentrate on God. And I lift my hands because I'm surrendering to God. I'm saying, God, I'm all yours. You purchased me, Jesus, with your precious blood, and I thank you for saving me. God, you didn't have to save me. You didn't have to. But God saw some value in each and every one of us. Even in the future, before we were even born, God saw something worthwhile in us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus said uh, in, in Paul's letter, while we were yet sinners, we were God's enemies. And he loved us before that. He still loves us. And he continuously loves us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So it's a state of mind. We know what we worship. Oh, mighty God, in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33, and also in verse 41, in the northern kingdom, under Jeroboam's established kingdom there, there's a funny thing that happened there. The Bible says, that these people there, they feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. They feared the Lord, but they still had idols. And that word, fear of the Lord, is the Jewish word yare, which means to revere, or to regard with reverence. It comes from the Latin word, to feel awe of. And reverence is a feeling of profound respect, often mingled with awe and affection. So this is mind boggling that these people, they were respectful of God, but they were kind of like double-minded. They also had their idols and stuff. It didn't compute with God. Hallelujah. Kind of funny. People are funny. So our next verse, this will probably be a pretty short sermon, so you all can Enjoy the day. The hour is coming, Jesus said, and now is. While she's, he's speaking to this woman at the well, and the Bible's uh, commentator says, you know, it's possible that we didn't get the whole conversation here. But he's explaining to the woman, the hour is coming. Oh, let me get the pointer here. hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. This is the object of our worship, the Father. And He desires that we worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus condemned the Pharisees by telling them, you guys are promoting the traditions of men as the oracles of God. Don't do that. Don't don't promote. Rituals and traditions because the rituals are going to be removed because Jesus is saying there's a revolution taking place. A change is coming and now it's on the way. A revolution is taking place. Hallelujah. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. The stress is on the state of mind in which we worship him. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, Speaking of God, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. So if you have your Bible, the word him and whose and is and on are in italics, which means they're not in the original language. So if you read it without the added words, it says God you will keep in perfect peace mind stayed you. So they have to add a few words to clarify it. So take out a couple of them. God, you will keep in perfect peace the mind that has stayed on you because this person trusts Then the person who wrote it says, Isaiah says, right after that, trust in the Lord forever. Verse 4 says, for in Jah, J-A-H, which is an abbreviation for Jehovah, is everlasting strength. Everlasting strength, you'll never guess what it means. Literally means rock of ages. God is unchangeable. He's the rock of ages that doesn't change, that doesn't wear out. My uh, sister and her family just came through to visit. They had gone to the Grand Canyon. And I took a bunch of, I don't know, over 150 pictures. But here's the Grand Canyon, all this layers here. How long did it take for those rocks to wear away? But the Bible says that Jesus is the rock that doesn't wear away, never erodes, never changes, is steadfast and solid. It's able to sustain us. And a person whose mind is stayed is the Jewish word, the Hebrew word, samak, which means to lean upon or take hold of, to rest oneself, to stand fast or sustain. So keep your mind on God, thinking about God all the time. Hallelujah. Philippians uh, chapter 4 says, Think on these things. If you have trouble thinking about stuff, Renew your mind by reading your Bible. Praise God. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Ja, the uh, Rastafarians of Jamaica, they refer to God as Jah, but they also smoke marijuana and become intoxicated, and so it kind of doesn't compute. It's like the people that feared the Lord and uh, still had idols. Praise God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 says, We rejoice in the Lord. Or verse 1, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is safe. I'll say that again. To write the same things to you is safe. So it's for our safety that Paul wrote all these letters. Keep us safe in God. And so he writes in verse 3, he says, "We." are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, capital S. He's talking to Jewish people that are saved and they love Jesus. He goes on to say, and command, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Because we've been delivered, chapter 7, verse 6 of Romans, from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. That's why we don't do uh, animal sacrifices anymore. We don't need to. Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, sufficient, so we're not under the law, and we serve God in the newness of the Spirit. We worship God in the Spirit. And this is a uh, commandment. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. And it's not like God's an egomaniac. I just want all the worship. Worship me. It's like (laughs) God is sharing his love with us. And the natural response or the reflex should be, God, we love you back. Remember the scripture, we love God because he first loved us. I've told you before that when somebody told me, uh, God loves you, I thought, you know, don't know anything about me. God couldn't possibly love me because of all the horrible things I've done in my short life back then. And, and But God proves he loves us. We know that because he sent his son. <clears throat> Psalm 139, verse 17 through 18 says these words. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And glory to God. When I am awake, I'm still with you. Jesus promised to never leave us or forsake us. God is always thinking of you and I. His thoughts towards us are more than we can number. Psalm 47, verse 7 uh, is talking about worshiping God. It says, sing praises with understanding. We don't just sing songs just to sing them. We sing praise to God, you know, to really try and worship Him. Psalm 95, verse 1 and 2 says these words, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. That's why we sing as part of worship here at the beginning of the service. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Our worship should be exuberant. There's nothing wrong with shouting for God. My stepdaughter lived in Denver, Colorado when the Denver Broncos won the um, Super Bowl one year. And she said, you know, I'd been in church growing up and I always heard that saying. See, people get excited for a football team. We don't see people get excited for Jesus. The resurrection from the dead, the hope of eternal life. That's exciting. These old bodies are going to wear out, but we're going to get a new body. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. That's something to get excited about. We're going to see our relatives that have passed away. We're going to see them again. Hallelujah. We're going to get to see Jesus face to face. That's something to get excited about. Can you say amen? Oh, you you can't be loud in church. Why not? Who says? Ha. Can't be loud. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 28, verse 2 says, I lift up my hands towards thy holy sanctuary. God is in heaven. Heaven is above us, obviously. Uh, One of the Bible commentators thinks that heaven is a planet somewhere as We'll find out when we get there. (laughs) Praise God. Psalm 134, verse 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Make God glad. Make God happy. How can you do that? By praising his name, by telling other people about Jesus. Psalm 63, verse 4 also says, I will lift up my hands in your name i seen Jackson sitting on the floor over there when we first came in and Anina's and, uh, sitting in the chair over there about almost six feet away and Jackson can't get over there and just sits there and lifts his hands up. He wants her to pick him up, but he won't come over there. He wants her to come over there. It's an act of surrender. Pick me up. Pick me up. Eventually he had to crawl over. Then she reached out to him. That's the picture. That's God looks at us like, we're, the, we're his kids. God, pick me up. Anybody need to pick-me-up? I need pick-me-ups quite a bit. God, I've got problems. God, I've got this going on and this going on. Pick me up, God. Pick me up. I always had the picture of God holding us like a little guy. And, uh, you know, you can just drape your arms around dad's shoulders and put your head on his shoulder and, oh, everything's going to be okay. I'm protected. Praise God. So we lift up our hands. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, he says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. How many have holy hands? All our hands are holy because Jesus' blood has made us holy. Hallelujah. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, the captives return from captivity. And in verse 5, they had assembled, they found the book of the law, and Ezra's up on a platform. And in verse 5, it says, when Ezra opened the book, all the people stood up. Can you imagine? Okay, guys, I'm going to open my Bible. Everybody stands up. Says, Out of respect. I was reading a story about a young man that was uh, raised as a Muslim, and he got saved. <clears throat> but when he was a little boy, Mom gave him a copy of their holy book, and uh, he's so excited, he runs over and sits down on the floor next to his sister and puts the book on the floor and says, hey, look what I got in his room. You never put that on the floor. I said, really? Can you, man, why don't we treat our book with such respect? In my study, I don't put anything on my Bibles. I don't know how significant that is, but... In a sense, I'm trying to be respectful that this is God's words, and I want to be careful with it. So, here's, we're going to end with this. God is spirit, and those who worship him can kind of worship him in spirit and in truth. No, this is a command. You must worship God in spirit and in truth. It's imperative. In order to make contact with God, God is reaching out to us. Can you say amen? In Isaiah, it says, all day long, I've stretched my hands out toward the stubborn and rebellious people. But he doesn't draw them back. God's reaching out to us. We ought to reach out to him. Praise God. So the returned captives have come back to Jerusalem. Ezra stands up. He opens the book. The people stand up. And then Ezra in verse 6 says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people shouted, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Hallelujah, Jesus. King Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast because in Second Chronicles chapter 20, the enemies of God had come against Israel And they were about to be overwhelmed by a large army. So Jehoshaphat, the king, proclaims a fast. And as they're fasting and praying and and all assembled together, that Jehaziel, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, anybody reading your Psalms? A Psalm of the sons of Korah, a Psalm of the sons of Asaph. This is one of those guys, Jehaziel. His name literally means beheld of God. In other words, God had his eyes on Jehaziel. The Bible says the Spirit of God came on Jehaziel and he gets up and he says, don't be afraid. And he utters these infamous words, chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles verse 15, fear not, for the battle is not yours but God's. God's fighting for us. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So then Uh, In verse 21, they go out to battle. And he tells them, God says, go out this way. You'll find the enemy down here. And they go out to battle. And then King Jehoshaphat consults with the people. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And I heard Jeremiah Bowser preached a, a whole sermon on this. He said they didn't put the singers uh, in front of the armies because they were such bad singers. They were hoping that the enemy would kill the singers and we would not have to listen to them anymore. They went out in front of the army because they went out there to praise God. And what did they say? Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 136. Every verse, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. God has shown mercy to us and sent his son. Thank God He had mercy on us because we deserved no mercy. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? And then in verse 20, right before consulting and putting the singers out in front, and the God, the Bible says that God put ambushments uh, against the enemies of God, and there were three different groups, and they turned on each other and they killed each other. Praise God. That's what God does to our enemies. When we praise God, God has the enemy, confound the enemy, and the enemy kills the other enemy, and it's all over but the shouting and the and the, uh, the looting. <laughs> praise God. In verse 20, he says, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Then he says, Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. That's why it's so important to read the Word of God for yourself. Believe is, not only read it, but believe it. Because there's people that read it, but they don't believe it. It's like, oh, what good is this? I mean, this is just, sounds like fairy tales to me. There's other religions in the world, they have miracles and stuff. You know, what's so different about this one? The difference is, this is God breathed by the real God, the living God, and the true God. And these words are inexhaustibly powerful, and these words can change your life. Hallelujah. If you'll just believe them and mix them with faith. Glory to God. So we lift up our hands to worship, and if you can play that video, this is the picture I get. Maybe Nick, can you get that video up? This is the picture I get of real worship. Anybody remember that tune? I can picture God and the angels and everybody up in heaven doing this. See if we can get it on here. I'll never forget when we st- I first saw this. I said, That's it. Yeah, it's our party. Look at Snoopy; he's my favorite. Ah, this is what I get in my mind: picturing real worship of God. This church is here in Tucson. I see everybody's up dancing around. Woo-hoo. That's really how we should be worshiping God. With abandon and exuberance and excitement because it's the best thing that has ever happened. Can you say amen? Woo-hoo! I love, I love to watch Snoopy there. Takes the guitar, swings it around. Praise God. That's the picture I get. My mind in heaven, worshiping. The Bible says the angels worship around the throne of God. Hallelujah. Why should we do any less? Can you say amen? Praise God. Well, that's about all I have for today. Sorry. (laughs) As a matter of fact, my favorite worshiper just walked in. Natalie, come here. Good morning. All right. Well, we love to watch you dance when we worship. (laughs) Go see Grandma. She's in the back. Praise God. All right. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's the picture I get. So next Sunday, let's surprise Pastor Wayne. Really worship. Really worship. Hallelujah. He won't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Wayne. Because uh, he usually has his eyes closed, so <laughs> when he's singing, so if he happens to open his eyes, praise God. It's just—I it, mean, what else could we do in light of all that God has done for us? What else should we do but worship Him and give Him thanksgiving and praise, and and just think about how patient God has been with us. If we were God, we would have said, "Forget it," like. Like God tells Moses, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to kill them all, and I'll make you a great nation. Thank God Moses said, don't do not do that, God, because everybody will hear how you brought your people out of Egypt just to kill them. That won't make any sense to anybody. God, don't do that. God says, well, all right, I guess not. If, God, <laughs> if we were God, we would have said, yeah, God. I mean, these people, they've caused me a lot of trouble after. Good idea, God. Get rid of them all. Start all over. God is merciful and loves us so much. No, I'm not going to do that. Wipe you all out. There's still hope. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus is this hope. Because God, where is that in? uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. and To bring you to hope and an expected end. And to bring you out because Jesus paid the price to set us free, totally set us free. Some of us, I don't know, we we struggle with stuff. There's coming a day when you will no longer struggle with whatever it is that you're struggling with. God promises to set us free totally and completely in this life and in the life to come. So keep striving, but above all, worship God get excited about Jesus cuz it's the most exciting thing that has ever happened in the entire history of the 3 or 4 billion years that we know of of the universe it's all been paid for to be redeemed totally and completely a new heaven and a new earth is coming and it's worth it to worship God we are so blessed in this country that we can assemble together to worship God this nation was founded for the right and the privilege to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I don't think our founding fathers ever envisioned how it would turn out as it is today. But the good news is that we can freely worship God in this country like in no other country. There are countries in this world that you cannot do this, what we're doing. And it's such a privilege and a blessing. We should keep it in mind as a privilege to worship God and to come and adore Jesus and lift our hands and praise him and dance around like Snoopy. Praise God.